Thank you. As I just get set up here, a bonus prize to anyone. Who can guess what's in my pocket? My, my phone, keys. Oh, I'll put my keys down. I have a, a dolphin. I, uh, I have four children, and my little daughter came out and said, you need to take something with you. And uh, she gave me a dolphin. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm from City. Don't hold that against me. I'm from Australia as well. Woo, woo. Rug, rugby or otherwise. I think you guys are doing better in the rugby now. Um, but I, I, it's just a privilege to come out here and to, to speak uh, to you and to be with you as well. A greeting from Alan and Eleanor. They send their love. And I was hanging out with Nicole earlier this week, and she is a treasure. She absolutely loves you guys. In fact, at one point in the conversation when I said something along the lines of what would this mean to you, she had tears in her eyes and she spoke about how much she loves coming along and how she loves ministering to you and with you. Um, So thank you for having me. As mentioned, my name is Jonathan or sometimes Jono if I'm not in trouble. Does anyone anyone have that? They have their full name when they're in trouble? Yeah. Okay. And today I want to kick off what will be an interesting series, I believe, uh, entitled, Why Church? That's a pretty broad question when you think about it. But I deliberately picked a painting of how I think most people think church is like. Sort of an obscure little building that sits in the middle of nowhere and all the people come along and their attitude is to be quiet and subdued. And I would argue that church is absolutely nothing like that. Absolutely nothing like that. But just a bit of introduction for myself. I'm married. I have four children, as I mentioned, uh, two, four, six, and eight this year, which is great. Um, you'll see a picture of them up on the screen. Uh, my wife, Rosanna, and I have been married for 10 years this year, which is a bit of fun. And if you do the maths on all those children, you'll realize we're just going to punch them all out and off they'll go. That looks like an ideal family photo. After that, uh, when we went onto the beach, one of my kids weed on the sand, the other one tried to eat the sand. And the other two ran off into the water. It was kind of chaos. So it was a beautiful family photo. I have an interesting heritage, though. I, uh, I had a, a Lutheran upbringing, and then I pivoted into the Anglican church, and now I'm a Pentecostal. Uh, you'll see on the screen a picture of my great-grandfather. He, uh, can you guess which one of those he was? The middle one? Uh, he's actually bottom right. Look at that guy. Piercing eyes. He started an inland mission in Australia, the Hermansburg Mission is in the Fink River, to the indigenous Australians. And in their amazing heritage, he actually lost his wife. His kids were affected by his ministry. On the right-hand side, you see a few pictures. You can tell of how harsh the environment might have been from them. Down the bottom right-hand corner, two ordained Aboriginal ministers in 1964. And he was responsible for that. My grandfather was called the Building Bishop. He was based down in Melbourne. He built... Uh, retirement villages and churches and other things. And, and so I come from this incredible Lutheran heritage. And as I as I'd said, I went Lutheran, Anglican, Pentecostal. I, I like to say I started with my hands in my pockets and then my hands were by my side. Now my hands are in the air. So I've had a bit of a dynamic history when it comes to my faith. I, I don't know if you're interested in doctrinal stances, but I'm a Calvinist-leaning Arminian, whatever that means. But really, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And I think if there's one thing that unifies us as believers is that we have a common love for someone who transformed the world and has transformed, no doubt, transformed your life as well. So as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at why church. We're going to be looking through the book of Acts. 
and there's some supporting scriptures that I'll be talking through. If you do have a Bible or you've got a Bible on your phone, uh, we'll be looking at Acts and working our way through a bunch of different things to do with that question. Why, church, why does church exist? Why is it here? But let me pray to start. Jesus, thank you for being amongst us. We thank you for your word that transforms us. We thank you for fellowship that we enjoy. And we thank you for your word as, as it brings to light new things for us in our minds and in our hearts. Help us to be people of great action as we hear your word today. Amen. Amen. Well, why church? Well, I think when we start with that question, it's an origin question. And also, it indicates a period, or it indicates to us, something that might change in us or the world around us. In fact, when the, world, when the church started a long time ago, as it was birthed, and as the book of Acts describes it, as it was birthed, it was a period of great change, incredible change. I don't know about you, but I don't always like change. In fact, having an Anglican heritage meant that change was very difficult. They always had this joke that how many Anglicans does it take to change a light bulb? And the, question, the answer was, change? Why would we change? And maybe if you're like me, change is difficult. It's hard to stomach sometimes. So I've moved house about 24 times and countries just once, Australia and New Zealand. And during that time, I didn't like it at all. It's unsettling. It brings instability. And so if you think about what the church might have been like as it was birthed, and as the book of Acts describes it, you'll realize that a great amount of change was occurring. And that sort of change, even though it brings unpredictability, can also bring about new life. We just heard, and it's a great analogy, that spring does that as well. So let's jump into the book of Acts. I'm going to read, I've got the revised NIV. I'm going to read from verse 1. We're going to read through to verse 11. In my former book, Theophilus, this is written by the author, who's Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised, for which you have heard me speak about. For, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, and suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Well, the book of Acts was written... Uh, if you don't know, it, it, the title comes from the Greek term praxis, which means to practice, to do, to do something meaningful, to do it with intent. And as you know, practice is an active term. It's not something that you should do once. It's something that happens over and over again. Practice makes perfect. A doctor's practice, I'm not sure why it's called that, are they continuously trying and trying until they get it right, perhaps. But the ancient Greek word of praxis also was a word that was spoken for people who were free, 
It was an activity by free people. And I think that is a phenomenal thought if you think about how you apply practice or Christian practice in your own life today. The author was Luke, the same author as the book of Luke. It was written in AD 60 to 100. And so by that that account, it's an eyewitness account. It's something that was written directly after the events that happened. It's divided into two sections, if you ever look through the book of of Acts in total, from 1 to 12 and then 13 onwards. And Jesus' words, which are written in red, if you have a, a Bible that has that, it's great when they're written in red, you know Jesus was speaking them, are reminded to us of things that we can apply today. And I just want to dwell on some of those words. Let's have a look at verse 4 together. He says, Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he goes on in verse 7 and 8. It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These are clear instructions from Jesus and indicates this time of change. He's about to ascend. He's about to disappear. This ministry that he established is about to radically change. But what does that mean for us? Well, it means that the church at that point was birthed. And who the church? Us, the church. A time of great change, but also a time of great power. So how about this? Why church? This is my question. What does it mean? I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you and ask them that question. Why does church exist? Why are we here? Why church? Have a chat and we'll talk in just a moment. I'll give you a minute or two to talk about that. Why church? Well, I heard from these lovely people I just met. They said we were forced to come. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. They want to be here. But they also mentioned community. Did did anyone else have that answer? People gathering together, connecting together. Is that right? Any other other thoughts that people had? Why why church? Why why does it exist? Why church? Oh, got an answer down the back there. Excellent. Well, what a a fantastically comprehensive answer. Thank you. So the apostles at that time were carrying what Jesus' mandate was, and their job was to talk about the specific things they witnessed to other people, and to birth the church. Phenomenal. Any other questions or any other thoughts that people had? Any other queries? Did anyone find it difficult to answer? It is a little bit of a complex question, isn't it? As you ponder it, you think, hold up, I don't know if we spend a lot of time asking why church. I think a lot of the time we spend a lot of time thinking about how church, or when church, or where church. But why? The origin, the purpose of church can sometimes be a little bit more tricky to discern. But here we go. Thankfully, Acts has an answer for us buried in chapter 8. If we look at 8b, it says, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You'll be my witnesses in Papamoa, in Mount Monganui, in Fakatani and beyond Fakatani, which might as well be to the ends of the earth. You've been my witnesses to other people. Now, interesting, that word witness is from the Greek term martis or martis. And you can probably hear a word in there that you may not like all that much. It comes into English as martyr. A witness had enough of a vision of something that they could be held to legal account. They could be the person who said, I saw that, and they could be relied on to be a witness. 
And that's where martyrs came from. In fact, you may know the phrase, the blood of the martyrs is the foundation of the church. And that's absolutely true. It's not something I'm putting my hand up for, though. The picture you can see here is a bit evocative, the stoning of Stephen. I kind of wish I would be a passive witness who wasn't in that sort of situation, wasn't ever called to testify in that way, wasn't ever called to sacrifice in that way. I kind of wish sometimes I could just sit on my hands, I could bury my talent and not be involved. But we are called, and Acts calls us specifically, and Jesus calls us specifically, to be his witnesses, to testify, to tell, to explain, to express, to live, to demonstrate, to admonish, to encourage, to grow alongside people, to be little replicas of Jesus, little sea Christians. But that's really hard, right? It's really hard. Just a show of hands, who finds it difficult? Yeah, it's difficult. Let's not pull any punches. It's difficult to be a Christian. And people say, and I don't know if you've heard the phrase, they say, oh, being a Christian, the reason you're a Christian is because it's a crutch. And I said, really? Why would you willingly choose a path that asks you to correct your behavior, that asks you to denounce things that aren't helpful, that might cause divisions in your family, that might pit you against your friends, that might challenge your morals, that might refines your mind, that sometimes brings an unsettling feeling to your heart as the Holy Spirit agitates in your life. It's not really a crutch most of the time unless you're talking about something that someone would like to beat you over the head with from time to time. It can be very difficult to be a Christian and to be a good witness. I've worked in lots of different professional endeavours and in that time I've experienced lots of different things. And when I've gone through different experiences at work in particular, I feel sometimes that I'm trying to be a light in a dark place, but I really wish I wasn't called to that. You might recall that moment in Lord of the Rings, I wish the ring wasn't given to me. Sometimes as a Christian you feel that. And I just want to encourage you that as it's complex for us to be witnesses, it also is complex because it brings about, it ushers in that change I mentioned earlier. The change and transition for the church is the same sort of change and transition that happens for us in our own hearts. And it's not easy. It's not easy to navigate. If you look at verse 11, I think this is quite funny because it's illustrated in a way which my mum reminds me has a profound witness for us. It says in verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into the sky? The same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way. If you ask many people, they'd say that's a picture of modern-day Christianity. People standing, looking intently into the sky, dumbfounded, with their feet on the ground. But as my mum would say, they have their head in the clouds and their feet on the ground, or they're so heavenly-minded they're of no earthly value. And maybe if you've got friends who sort of levelled criticisms criticisms at you, you realise they're trying to say the same sort of thing. They get it that you're trying to change, but that for them can be confronting as well. But what does it mean for us as Christians to live well, knowing that that change has come about? Well, thankfully, there's another answer for us in Scripture. Have a look at verse 8a. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power. You will receive power. Whenever I read scripture, I 
find it complex to wrestle with that word because that's an imperative word. He will be known amongst the nations. Jesus will return in glory. You will receive power. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I wake up, in particular when I get woken up abruptly with a child looking at me in the eye while I'm trying to cozy up underneath the covers, I don't really feel like I've received much power. But let me tell you something that is a differentiator for Christianity. There's two broad things. Most other religions have holy people, they have holy days, they have holy books, they have holy morals to follow, they have rules that govern your life, they have all of these things, but every other religion does not have, apart from a few other things, two broadly powerful things that we have as Christians. We have the life of Jesus, his death and resurrection, and we have the Holy Spirit. And those two things transform Christianity from being purely religiously based to order your life, to being something that is infused with power, infused with power. It's a defining feature of the church. And so if you ever feel like, if you ever think at any point in time, I can't witness, I'm not great at change, I don't want to hold that Christian mantle, I just came to church to kind of chill out and not be informed too much about my life, I just want to barrel on in the way that I've always done it. Know that the Holy Spirit that is is within you, undeniably within you, that indwells inside of you, wants to bring about that great change as well. Your life will change when you become a Christian. It is the start of something that you can't even try and stop, even if you tried. So when we consider the question of why church, and we'll explore that over a series that will progress from here on over various different books and have complementary material from various different places, we need to understand that we aren't seeking an ideal church to answer that question. Because if you look around the room and if you look in your own heart, you'll realise there's no such thing as an ideal church. It's full of people. Church would be perfect if it didn't have people. Amazing. So easy to run. It would be an administrative headache. You wouldn't have these people asking you questions. Unfortunately, we are people. We all are. And I am. And I know what burns inside my heart. And sometimes it's not good. But I know that if I want to be part of a church and be part of the wider church, be part of the Christian church, and if I want to answer that question of why church exists, and then I want to live out of why that church exists so that it can be powerful in the world... I need to start with a foundational understanding that the Holy Spirit is critical to that work progressing. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on that because in subsequent weeks, as you well know, the, uh, the day of Pentecost arrives and the Holy Spirit does come. But I just want to finish on pondering on why church. If we go down to verse 24 in Acts chapter 1, we realize there's something powerful that happens with the believers. You can read through the verses that, that follow through. It's actually the account of Judas being replaced by an other, other apostles. It's quite horrific, some of the wording there. I'll leave you to read through it. But they settle on two people that they're going to raise to be the emissaries, to be parachuted into that group and subsequently to be apostles to join the rest of the crew that for the rest of Acts are going to show us what they do with the power of the Holy Spirit 
And they say this about them in verse 24. They pray, and in that prayer they say, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, the ministry of being sent with intent and purpose, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and they chose some people. Lord, you know everyone's hearts. My wife wrote me a little note, which is here. It says, you are the God who sees me. And I keep it in my Bible and it pops out every time I open my Bible up. It falls out onto the ground when I pick it up. And when I read a scripture like that, I'm reminded of this verse. You are the God who sees me. And I want to leave you with two thoughts. One is when God says, I know your heart, that can be difficult to stomach. But it can also be incredibly liberating. God knows your heart. He knows your intention. He knows before you speak why you're saying what you're saying. If he knitted you together in your mother's womb, he understands why you behave in a certain way. He has the power to reach into the darkness of your heart and set you free. Of anyone who I would like to know my heart, who I know wouldn't judge me, who would hold me in high esteem, who could transform my heart from its current stunted state to something of incredible growth, it would be Jesus. He knows your heart. So take heart with that. And secondly, show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry. If you think about the principle of that, the apostles have just gone through a pretty horrific process of change. Jesus has come and gone. They're left behind. They thought Israel was going to be restored to glory. And they have amongst them a traitor who they have to replace. And they look around and they say, who are we going to choose? And they choose certain people and set them aside for the task. So who has the Lord chosen to build his church? Who did he choose? He chose those good-looking, talented people. They're like really good at what they do professionally. The sort of renaissance folk that you have around for dinner and you think, I love to hate these people because they seem to be good at everything. It's really frustrating. No. He chose lowly and broken people. People like you and me. People like you and me. Simple, grounded people. And so when we answer why church, I want you to understand that the practice, the praxis, the act of going out and being missional, the act that you carry as a Christian to change the world through this imperfect vehicle called church is bound in two principles. One is that God who knows your heart is for you. And secondly, to make sure you didn't forget He gave you the Holy Spirit. So I just want to finish by praying for that, for you as C3 Coast and the future of your church. I want to pray for your ministers who have been appointed here. I want to pray for you and your heart. And my hope and my prayer is that as you think through the various things that 
come to light to answer that question in more detail. Why church? That you will see your place in church. And you'll see it as an important place, a critical place. That when you're not here, we feel that. When you are here, it delights us. And our body is complete when we live, when we work, when we breathe, when we put our effort in together. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your church that you established. And we thank you that as we work our way through why church, we will see afresh what church is, what it does, not just for us as individuals, but for the community, how it sets people free, how it ushers people into a place where they can understand that your Holy Spirit has transformed them and has given them power. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that you come and you dwell with us as we consider our church, this church, what its role is. We pray more than anything that you'll fill us with your courage so that we can go out from this place and be Christians with other people and bring them into your kingdom as well. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before I finish, I just want to extend an invitation to anybody who's come along today. And you might be in one of two categories. You might have come along to church for quite a while. Um, and you think, I have wandered away from that mandate that Jesus has given me, I want to pray for you and pray for your heart. I'll be sticking around afterwards, and it'll be a delight and a pleasure to do that. But secondly, if you don't know Jesus and you haven't given your heart to him, or if you think right now, hold up, a lot of that doesn't make too much sense to me, I want to pray for you as well. And so why don't we just bow our heads now, and I'll pray for those two groups of people. And if afterwards... I don't feel embarrassed to do it. I'll do it myself. I get prayed for regularly. I know I need prayer. Um, Come up and see me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you. But Jesus, we thank you for your word. And I pray right now for those people in this room who may feel like they've drifted away from you. We know that you are ever-present, omnipresent, and that you are near us. But we tend to walk off. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we will come back to you. Lord God, if there are hearts in this room that have felt like they have gone cold, I pray that you rewarm them this morning. And Jesus, I pray for those people who may be here or may be listening along who who don't know you. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you come into their life. You show them who they are before you, loved and set free. I pray you cleanse them of their sin and give them new life with you. We pray that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.